Yo, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL on the contrary show. I'm Dave Lochran hosting with you once again, back for another week. Somehow uh, <laughs> I'm surprised we're here after last week, but I don't know. Some of you guys seem to enjoy it. Happy to have all of you with us. And we've got an awesome guest that I'll introduce in just a second. I feel like things may go a little bit differently than last week, but first Alex Baker with me as always awesome. himself. Number one ranked player out there. What's going on, brother? What's up, man? Yeah, grateful to be here because uh, it seemed like our show was pretty close to getting canceled after that <laughs> one. But uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, Jared Goff didn't have uh, a 400-yard day. So it was a little bit of a rough week for our recommendations. But I, I hope that uh, we, can, <laughs> we can step it up this week. <laughs> I feel like every time I've talked to you over the last week, your first answer to every question I have is just Jared Goff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like he is really the answer to every question yeah. in TFS. So. How's the weather in Chicago today? Jared Goff. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. That offensive lineman didn't come through as we anticipated. <laughs> anyway, we got a, a, an awesome guest with us today. David Bergman. You may know him as whistles go. Woo uh, had a, dare I say viral interview almost with DraftKings after taking down the 2.5 million uh, and just a, a really exciting guest to have on and pick his brain and talk some football with. So Dave, appreciate you joining us, man. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show. Excited to be here. Excited to uh, talk about football and whatever else we might go down the uh, rabbit hole with. Well, let me just start with something because this blew my mind. I, I always try and do some, some recon, right. With our guests, because I want to get to know them before we get to know them. And, uh, I'm watching a few of your spots that you've done. And I, w- I was watching the, the Lulz podca- podcast with a uh, brick who who's joined us a bunch of times on this show. Great guy with, and Pete Overzet. And I'm watching this from the beginning and thinking, I don't know how, how this guy juggles all of these tasks, right? You're, you're an associate professor, right? You say uh, you, you do many other things. And then I'm like, all right, well, he's, cl- he's single. I, I get it. He's the guy's single. There's no doubt. And then you say, I've got a wife and a one-year-old and a three-year-old. David, I have an eight-month-old and I could barely take care of life. And it's how do you do it? How many hours a night do you sleep? Four? Uh, great question. It depends, right? Uh, yeah, about six hours on average okay. a night. I think that, that's probably what I try to get in, although it depends and it varies from week to week. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I've always found that the busier I am, the more I get done. Like, suppose I wake up and I got nothing to do today. I'm going to literally do nothing, right? But if I look forward and I say I've got a bunch of meetings, I have to be on this cool show with Awesome O himself, uh, you know, I'm just going to get stuff done earlier than I would have procrastinated. So, yeah, I, I work hard. I always have. So, even before I got into DFS, I was doing a bunch of consulting while being a professor and, of course, the family stuff. Um, but then, yeah, you just, you know, things go up or down, right? So, I've kind of toned down the consulting a bit ramped up my DFS participation, obviously. Uh, yeah, just balance and pick the right things on the right day. Are you a workaholic, David? There's no question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nobody could, but, but you know, I mean, I, I, you know, be cliche about it, but like, if you love what you do, it's perfectly fine. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, every prong of my professional life I love. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'm a workaholic, but I'm just passionate. You know, people are like, what are your hobbies? And, uh, you know, my, my hobbies are the things I do for work. So, you know. Yeah. So um, thank you for taking the time out of being a professor to, to come on here. I'm sure there's like, <laughs> like classes and stuff today. Uh, yeah, I, but... I was wondering, I mean, like I've learned a lot about you with uh, this DraftKings series and 
One thing I haven't uh, heard you talk about a ton is like, how did you like get into DFS? Because your background isn't really in like gaming or, or sports, right? So like, what about it? Like kind of drew you in? Sure. So, uh, I mean, I've always loved sports, uh, but not really did much in the betting world. I wasn't, I mean, I played poker, but not, you know, on the level of most of the DFS guys. Um, and, but I really was into survivor pools for a while. Uh, took the, took one kind of major one down. I mean, not by DFS standards these days for me, but at the time, super major for me. And of course those are season long things, which are fun, but you know, DFS gives you a much more exciting kind of, uh, activity. And, you know, I had heard about DFS. I knew about it. I played season long fantasy still do, but I then started to think, yeah, I mean, this DFS, I mean, it's just so well suited for an optimization model. Right. And so I tried it out. I was really bad for a year. I remember seeing Osmo's name at the top all the time. I was like, I just don't, I simply don't understand how I'm doing that. <laughs> Um, but then, yeah, I mean, you know, through, 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 you know, like anything else in life with a little bit of practice, you can start to get an edge and, uh, yeah. So, and then it just ramped up. So I think I played in 2019 is when I first started to like really kind of play a little bit more frequently. Uh, and yeah, I, you know, I, I built up the bankroll a bit during baseball season, basically lost most of that bankroll uh, in the fall, but then, you know, started to adjust my strategy, started to understand a little bit more how I can play my game. And uh, yeah, that's how it ramped up. It was, uh, you know, one of my buddies was like, yeah, we should try You know, why don't you take a look at, D at DFS? And I did. And I was like, yeah, this is an awesome game. Had fun with it. And then started to get some success. But you have a background in optimization, right? Correct. That's my, I have a PhD in optimization. It's the thing I do uh, with my life. So it's just a, per yeah, absolutely. So optimization is the thing that I do. Yeah. That's crazy because you got a lot of people that are, you know, really great players out there, David, that, uh, and by the way, hit that thumbs up guys, hit that thumbs up if you haven't done. So yeah, we're coming in hot today. Uh, but yeah, there, there are a lot of guys out there that use third party optimizers and, and, and they do the job, but you decided that you were going to, write your own code, build your own optimizer, right? Which is, I, I'd say, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but that feels pretty unique for, for many of the people that we've spoken to on this show and around the industry who've had a lot of success like you have. It could be. And, you know, like optimizers, look at Fantasy Cruncher or any one of them out there. The algorithms that go behind, so, so I assume that most of these sites are using another third party to actually run the optimizations. They just take in the data, they model the problem, then they spit out the results, right? But the the software that is used for optimization, me and my buddies in academia are the one that developed the algorithms for that, right? right, so, like, right. So, so like, this is, I mean, when I say it's my wheelhouse, it is the thing that I do professionally and have for years. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I, when there's an optimization problem, I don't go online. Like I use the state-of-the-art optimization engines. I build my own optimizers or whatever the case may be. I have one question regarding that is, uh, I mean, when people think of optimization, like, uh, I know that's kind of like a knapsack problem and you're trying to maximize points, but in DFS, like there's a lot of variables you're trying to account for. So like, do you think of optimization in that way where it's like, you're trying to just like optimize for one thing, or do you try to like optimize for like a bunch of different variables at once? Yeah. So it's, I mean, in DFS, if you're just doing one objective, you're probably going to miss, right? I mean, you have to take into account ownership. You have to take into account uh, you know, those players that might actually pop off. You have to also take into account some guys that are going to be more steady, right? And I think you have to mix all that stuff together. And the particular secret sauce that I blend into the optimization algorithm, of course, 
will be the thing that I keep close to, you know, cl close to my, my own personal use. But yeah, definitely it's a mix of things. And there's a whole area of optimization called stochastic optimization. And I want to get too nerdy on you all, <laughs> but it is the, it's like solving knapsack problems, but where your coefficients are uncertain, but you have some distributional knowledge. And so that's basically, I try to exploit some of that stuff. But then of course, I mean, it's a hard problem too, right? When you're setting 150 lineups at a time and actually thousands at a time, you can't like, you have to do things quickly. L late breaking news. I mean, take basketball. If you're not updating your, your, your solutions very quickly, you're just not going to be able to keep up with, with, with everybody else. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a blended approach. Uh, some things are traditional optimization type of stuff. Like you're talking, some things are more advanced stuff. Uh, and yeah, just, just mix it all together. So Talking to David Bergman, you might know him as Whistles Go Woo. Going to break the slate down in just a second. But I have one final thing to ask you, Dave. Um, when, when we talk to a lot of people, I think Alex is unique in the sense that he's a math guy, but he's also a sports guy. But you look at a lot of people that come into DFS, they come in with the, the, the understanding that they can find an edge without being a sports guy or a girl, whoever it is, right? It feel, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but are, are you more of a math guy, a sports guy, or both? And did this just happen to be like the perfect combination of passions for you that put you in a position to excel and really become infatuated something that you wanted to get better with? Yeah, that, I think that's a great question. And I think every DFS player falls somewhere on the spectrum of pure analytics and pure sport, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any question that I'm more towards the analytics side, although I do love sports, there's no question, but still I'm more on the analytics side. And, but you know, I obviously have taught a lot of students throughout the years and they all come up to me and they're like, Oh, what's the newest, coolest thing for analytics. I'm like, you know, don't ask what the coolest thing for analytics is ask what you want to do in your world and then, and then apply analytics to it. Right. So you, you can't just apply analytics in a silo that doesn't work in DFS that doesn't work in any industry that I've ever consulted for. And it doesn't work ever in practice. You have to bake in some understanding of the domain that you're studying. Right. So in this case, sports, you can't like, I can't just look at data series and then just build an optimization model. That's going to perform well. Somehow you have to think about, you know, what is important about a running back that you might want to distinguish groups of running backs by what is important about a quarterback that you might want to distinguish. How is that important for then assembling a collection of entries? And if you don't think about the sport itself and how that plays out, I don't think it's possible to really compete. So yes, I'm definitely more towards the analytics side. There's no question, but still you have to bake in information about what you're applying analytics to always, if you're going to apply it successfully. Alex, is that how you describe yourself too? Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, I'm definitely approaching this more from like a gaming perspective where uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out like the best strategies. I'm using a combination of the sports knowledge and, and the math and analysis. So uh, I've never really worried about how, how how far on the spectrum from one way or the other. I'm no, but were you a sports fan before coming to DFX? <laughs> I probably not as big a sports fan uh, as a lot of guys in DFS. So like, I feel like I, I'm not a huge sports fan, just in comparison to everyone else, but. I did uh, really follow the Pistons in the, in the early 2000s and got really into that, uh, as well as some other some other teams. But um, David, I got one. David, I mean, uh, a little confusing here. Got a uh, one more question for you. We asked this of all, all of our guests. Uh, what is your algorithm? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But one thing I did want to ask is. Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, all of our guests. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, I, I think, like uh, some people, like kind of picture maybe like the the best person at like doing sports analytics or predictions as being maybe like more of an academic background, like a math PhD or, or something like that. But uh, in reality, like there aren't very many people like that in the industry uh, from that academic perspective. I think you're one of the few. So why do you feel like more people who, who really love like math and are really into academics like don't gravitate towards DFS or don't succeed at it? Um, well, I can just say why I maybe think that I've succeeded. First of all, persistence. I mean, again, like it, it's, it is a frustrating game, right? Like I'm sure you've gone through swings. Everybody goes through swings, right? And that's frustrating, right? You're like, no, but I tweet, they, they just, and it's just annoying because it doesn't hit for a while. So persistence, I think is something. And then, yeah, I mean, it's messy, right? And it's frustrating, you know, sometimes you set a lineup in NBA and you really focus on one guy and then one minute after lock, the guy's out of the game. And I mean, there's no math model that can really deal with that. And so it's just such a, it's, it's such a, it's a non-pure math problem. And I actually think that the PhDs that go, that have, you know, PhDs in math or whatever, but go into industry, I don't know, working in consulting, working for any company, I think they would be more well-suited for such a game because they're more used to looking at messy data where the decisions are not clear. You can't really find like the optimal choice. There's no such thing really. Um, and so I think that's, yeah, I, I think it's a, you need to have a different approach to it than just a pure math thing. You know, when you write a research paper, you have to perfect, put a perfect model there and then use some real data, but manipulate it and simplify a problem. In DFS, you don't do that, right? I mean, there's no simplification of the problem. There's the problem of picking a winning entry. And so, yeah, I think the, the consulting experience that I've had merged with my academic background and training is probably what has helped me. And I think just my, uh, you know, I have the opposite of ADD. So like, if I get into something, I, you have to peel me away from it. Right? Hyper-focused on it. Yeah. I'm just like the, I don't know, I guess, you know, I, I read the, the, the description of ADD that is essentially the opposite of how I am. Like I'm in this game, right? Like I'm in this right now. I don't even know what's happening outside in the world. Right. We're chatting, we're talking. It's just pure focus. I think those three things are probably, but I, you know, I think a pure academic could have some success still. I think there's no doubt. Um, they made but, Adderall from your DNA is what you're saying. <laughs> right. Right. If I took Adderall, I think we'd have a big problem. I don't know. <laughs> They wouldn't sleep at all. Well, okay. You're you're a fascinating guy, man. I want to get into this slate. So I, I got to ask you something, though. When you were younger then, right, have you always been like this? Like what were, as a high school student or as a kid, what were you obsessed with? Was there something that you would just lose yourself in? Yeah, I mean, let, let me, I mean, I'm a Rubik's Cube expert. Awesome. Are you? Uh, yeah, although Awesome tricked me uh, with a Rubik's Cube, but that's a story for another What's day. What's your solve time? Well, it used to be like 15 seconds or something like that when that was a pretty competitive time. Now they do it in like five, four seconds or something. I like know, but I've but got a speed day, cube was... right here and I can still only, there you go. Yeah, I got one too. But, oh, uh, you go. cool. but I'm not, I mean, I could solve it quick, but I'm not a 15 second or nowhere near that. Yeah. Although with awesome, I did it in 20 seconds. He also tricked me, you know, he repisit or whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, he replaced uh, the blocks. <laughs> yeah. He like just switched. Hey, dude, whistles go woo. Like he was trying to impress us with this Rubik's cube. And he's like, 
uh, must scramble it up. I'm not going to look. And then he looks all the way over here. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> I don't even have to distract him. <laughs> so, awesome. so, yeah, so stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, any kind of like puzzle or something like that. So, yeah, I always got into it. I was, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was just the math I always liked. Although, of course, that's not the only thing I did. Um, but yeah, just a normal kid growing up. Had fun. You know, same, cool. same as everybody. Hey. Talk a little bit about this slate week 11 coming up. And then we got Thanksgiving football coming up next week. One of the greatest times of the year. But uh, if you're sick of losing parlays on the fifth leg at a traditional book and getting nothing for it, you got to check out prize picks, right? Player prop contest. Very simple. There's no juice on either side on the over the under. You're just picking an over under. You're placing them into a two through five player lineup, prop lineup, whatever your risk tolerance is. And um, you're making money. You can get 10 extra money on a five-player prop or lineup. And the cool thing, if you only hit four, you're still 2Xing. If you only hit three of five, you're still making money back. And if you use the promo code AWESEMO, A-W-E-S-E-M-O, get up to $100 sign-up deposit bonus upon signing up for the first time. Very cool platform. It looks great. You're going to enjoy how easy it is, especially when you use it in conjunction with our player prop tools, with Odd Shopper, giving you the projections, the expected win rate. Make life a whole lot easier for yourself, especially if, you know, especially if you're not like David, where you can't hyper-focus it on something and work till 11 o'clock at night, but you still want to get some action down. Prize Picks is an awesome place to do it. Not nearly as time-consuming as you'd think. And, uh, well, hunt to $100 in deposit bonus when you sign up using the promo code AWESOMO. Go to prizepicks.com, download it in the App Store, Google Play Store, any sport you can think of they've got on there, and you can mix them all up into one lineup and use all of our tools to do so. So prizepicks.com, check that out. All right, Alex, let me start off with you. Uh, New York Jets and Miami Dolphins. We got to talk about this because the Jets are allowing 40 points per game to their opponents over the last five weeks. Matt Kajewski actually... Uh, likened their secondary to a college team this week. And that man does not speak uh, of, of something so egregious unless he's serious about it. But then you've got Miami. It's not really the most potent offense. This game feels like one that could be 17 to 10 or it could be, you know, 45 to 40 at the end of 60 minutes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the Jets have been giving up a lot of points. Uh, I don't know if their their defense is like, um, I'm trying to pull up their season-long data, but a lot of times with these really bad teams, they, they look like they're giving up a ton of production, but it's because they can't keep their drives going and the other teams run like a ton of plays. So uh, it looks like the, the Jets have allowed 8.4 yards per pass, which that is uh, about uh, a yard worse than your average defense. That's really what Tua needs because – the Miami's passing is really inefficient, like under seven yards. So if you kind of add that boost, you got to project Tua to, to throw the ball uh, pretty effectively. And the, the Dolphins throw the ball at one of the higher rates in the league. So this is about the perfect conditions for Tua this week. I know you've done some uh, preliminary runs too, David. Where are you at on Miami and New York? Yeah, so as far as Tua goes, I think he'll be an average – pick for me right I think well I'll, I'll definitely have some lineups with him uh not not going completely crazy in his direction though uh because I mean a it could be a complete blowout in two seconds right and then you know you have a bunch of first half points and then it's all done but you you have to think about the you know the other side of the ball right what about Flacco I mean he's <laughs> so cheap and now I, obviously you don't suspect that he's going to score too much 
but with four, you know, he's 4,600, I think, in the main slate, if I'm right, or something like that. But anyway, you know, suppose that he throws a touchdown to someone, right? The amount of cap space that you would have relieved otherwise will be insane. And so I, I don't, I don't think that you should put Flacco in all of your lineups. Okay. But throwing in the single stack with one of his wide receivers, I don't think is necessarily the worst play because you're going to be able to fill with some superstar running backs, wide receivers or whatever. Otherwise, you know, and there's a lot of them this week too. There's a lot of superstar running backs and wide receivers this week. Yeah. I mean, look at the top four guys. I mean, Adams Hill, you know, all these guys, like you're going to, you're going to have a tough time picking between them, but that's fine. I mean, you know, you can flip those coins. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you can get one or two of them on a lineup and Flacco happens to throw a touchdown, you know, it's not the worst play. I don't think. Now, and Corey Davis is at least a, you know, viable wide receiver. It's not like they don't have anybody. When you're looking at a, at a cheap quarterback like this, are you, are you looking at it and saying, you know, it, just get me the, like, we don't need him to be Patrick Mahomes, right? So is there is there a, 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 a an area where at 4,600 you'd be okay with knowing that you're loading up the rest of your lineups with stars? I mean, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to play Flacco on 150 lineups, which, by right. the way, we can talk about my 150 strategy of the millionaire at some point <laughs> in recent weeks if you'd like. But Love I'm to. not going to put, you know, Flacco in 150 lineups, that's for sure. But again, like, yeah, just imagine that he gets a touchdown and you happen to – I wouldn't put a two-stack with him, right? No. So I would not put two receivers on a lineup with him. But I would put one for sure and see where it goes. You know, I mean, Miami's defense is not bad. That's the other challenge there, right? But his salary is just so low. Alex, you've been a New York Jets apologist for the past couple of years. <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, you've always seen opportunity with a team like that where they'd go vastly overlooked and they'd be extraordinarily cheap and no one would touch them, even in good matchups. Um, what do you think about the other side of this one with the Jets and Flacco and a Corey Davis or a Michael Carter in the backfield? I think uh, the Jets are pretty intriguing. Uh, they have a 20-team total, which is – a threshold for at least uh, being fantasy relevant uh, and Flacco as much grief as people give him for not living up to the uh, kind of expectations of being a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Uh, he, he's not like been horrible in uh, the times he has started. He's averaged about six and a half yards over the past few years per throw. So that uh, it's not great, but it can get the job done with a lot of volume. And if Miami has a big day, then you're going to get a lot of Flacco passing attempts. And I like that Crowder and Davis both get a, a good target share and workload. So I think those would be really good guys to stack up. And then Michael Carter, whenever you get like a statuesque uh, quarterback, like the, they tend to pass to – running backs a lot more and we've already seen that with Mike uh Mike White passing to uh the running backs and I think it could be even better for running back receiving with Joe Flacco if that's the case you might get another eight or nine targets for Michael Carter for sure Tyler go back to that split screen with Alex and myself and tell me what's wrong apparently I'm Aton Shander and he's Greg Ehrenberg <laughs> sorry sorry I'm just, I'm just fucking around Hey, um, David, what about when we start looking at some of these top tier players, right? The running back position has a lot of notable great players up top. Not all of them in particularly great matchups. They're like Jonathan Taylor has a tough draw against Buffalo. Um, 
Alvin Kamara was at practice, then he wasn't at practice. So we don't even know if he's going to be active. Nick Chubb actually does have a great spot against Detroit. Are there, and then, of course, McCaffrey at home against Washington. Are there any running backs at the top tier that you really like this week? Yeah, I mean, how about uh, how about Dylan in Green Bay? Love right? him. Yeah, he's a little cheaper, but I, I love Dylan this week. Yeah, yeah, so he's very good. And, I mean, yeah, I McCaffrey, I don't know yet, right? I think we need a little bit more information about how he's going to perform, right? I, I just don't know if I would go deep on him yet. Uh, and, yeah, Cook, Cook could be okay. I think uh, at the top, it's it's tough. I, I – the highest salary running back that I think I like so far is probably Chubb. Yeah. I think he's, he's the play that most people will probably go to on the super high end, but you know, we'll see as things develop. Alex, his price point, there's no doubt right now that Detroit is baked into the salary, at least on DraftKings for Nick Chubb, right? Because he'd been, mid 6k high 6k and then he sh- jumps up $1100 since his last game mind you he was out with covid-19 last week uh is this a price point with obviously Kareem Hunt not expected to play that you're willing to get to it's hard to see Chubb getting much volume uh against the Detroit Lions led by Jared Goff so uh <laughs> oh, you think they're gonna you think they're gonna be in catch-up mode <laughs> yeah but no uh, i mean like you really can't draw it up any better uh i'm not thinking that chubb is gonna get like a crazy workload because dernis johnson has really proven that he's a uh, more than capable backup so i i think that uh chubb is is a fair price this week and definitely someone to go into i think Christian McCaffrey is more the interesting situation where the quarterback change in Carolina really has a unknown effect on how he's going to perform. What about Mixon at that kind of no man's land where he's been very good in terms of getting opportunities this year? The Samaji Pirine thing was completely overblown. And now you face a Raiders team that looks like they have a lot of holes in their defense. Definitely. Yeah. I think that Mixon is always a really uh, interesting fantasy option when he's low on particularly because he does uh, dominate the the touches in Cincinnati and uh, Cincinnati this week has a 25 team total. So that's pretty encouraging. And the, the ownership projection we have on Mixon isn't that bad, only 6.9% on DraftKings. So that's definitely um, maybe if you have to be contrary an option. David, one thing we actually do ask most of our guests here, because it's interesting how a lot of them have different opinions on it. Do you have any hard and fast rules when it comes to stacking? Um, Is there anything you want to always do or stuff that you might want to stay away from when it comes to run backs or double stacking or going full out onslaughts with teams that have very high totals against bad defenses? Yeah, so the the main stacking that I do is obviously, you know, a quarterback with to receiving eligible people, right? So you have to break down your running backs into receiving eligible or not, or, you know, receiving running backs or not. However you want to do that, it can be by hand, it can use data, whatever you'd like. So the typical thing I've always done is two stacks. So at least two pass eligible people with a quarterback. Um, But these days I'm kind of experimenting with just one stacks, right? So finding a quarterback and a receiving core that I really like, right. And trying to go a little bit deeper on just those two guys as opposed to, and then depending on the size of the slate, I try to avoid having multiple people on teams that I'm not having the quarterback on. So for example, on a 12 game slate, like on this weekend, I probably won't have 
two receivers from the same team if I don't have the quarterback associated with them, right? Uh, that seems like it's just too much of a pull away of points from each other. Um, but yeah, and, and and as far as looking at which running backs I might stack with a quarterback, I think you've got to look at the, you, you just have to look at how, you know, do they catch regularly? Do they get at least, you know, five targets a week or whatever the case may be? And that's how I kind of pick them. Um, so I definitely going into, and of course, you can also have like a Lamar Jackson with nobody stacked with him. That, that can happen. I've had no success with that, but I'm not saying people have it, you know, Um it's an interesting play. I think I'd prefer to have someone stacked to the quarterback though. And Lamar is interesting now just because he actually has some legitimately good pass catching options. Whereas before he had to do so much on his own, you know? But, yeah. But I wouldn't, go, I wouldn't go too heavy on Lamar this week. Alex, the- our top stack tool has Kansas city back, back up top, only down for a week. Now they're right back up top where they were a high leverage score, highest top stack probability Buffalo second. Are there any stacks you're loving this week? Just thinking you're going to come in very heavy on. Yeah, man, that, that Kansas City versus Dallas matchup that that's going to be a game that could could have some fireworks. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, I'm definitely considering contrarian options as well. Although, I mean, both of those teams are great to stack up. So one that I'm kind of mulling over is Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, this one's risky because the 49ers are, are facing off uh, against Jacksonville this week. So the most likely situation is that they run the ball a ton of times because Jacksonville's defense just isn't very good. And San Francisco is a run first team, but he does have two great receivers and Debo Samuel and George Kittle. So uh, a lot of times with quarterback, it's just, you know, uh, is the sum of the individual players, good enough to justify playing the quarterback. And I think in this case, Debo Samuel and Kittle are, are both excellent. So if they both have a good week, the same week, then Jimmy G is going to have big numbers. Travis Petty in chat. Is this the real whistles go woo? <laughs> yeah, how do we verify that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Just make sure I'm nowhere else, which is tough to do, but yeah, yeah. This is the real whistles go woo that I promise you. <laughs> Travis Petty's been an awesome uh, guest on this show as well, man. We had a lot of fun with him last year too. Got to get him back on, man. Um, yeah. So, all right. Let me let me ask you something then, David. Yeah. With with this week, Cam Newton starting for the Carolina, like, presumed starter for the Carolina Panthers. We saw they already got him involved last week in his first game active with them. They clearly think he gives them a better chance than PJ Walker, which I think we would all agree he does. Uh, does this worry you that Christian McCaffrey could struggle as a result, maybe losing goal line touches here? Or do you think, I mean, you already talked about Joe Flacco being potentially uh, viable at 4,600 Cam Newton's at 5,100 uh, right. against Washington. I, I, that you have, you must have some interest here, right? There's no question. I mean, you know, on a preliminary look, I'm looking at maybe 10% Cam or something like that out of 150 lineups. And I think that'll be pretty close. I don't know what awesome you have on your site right now, but that, that I think will be approximately what it is. I, I, I don't think it's going to hurt. Uh, I don't think it's going to hurt Christian McCaffrey. I mean, you know, 
when teams score, they score, right? There's a symbiotic relation. Now, who will get the rushing touchdowns? We don't know, right? But I think just having a more electric offense in Carolina, I think, will actually help Christian McCaffrey out if Cam can perform, you know, like he did in the in the bit that we saw, right? Uh, so I, I I don't I I would not shy away from McCaffrey just because Cam Newton would be someone who pulls away a little bit more, you know action i just think there's gonna be more action right the offense is gonna be different there's gonna just score more they're gonna be you know just moving the ball a little bit more fluidly down the field so and they play you know they, they know each other right so i think it's gonna be interesting so a rising tide lifts all ships is what you're saying in this case i i really think so yeah i'm not i'm not worried i mean look mccaffrey is still gonna be uh, you know a top five guy this week i'm sure and so don't be don't be scared of of cam taking away too much of my, in my opinion are you on the Newton train, Alex? Yeah, I definitely like Newton. I mean, the price point on DraftKings at 5,100 is just way too low for a guy that will rush 10 times a game. So uh, I do expect the receiving production of Carolina to take a big hit uh, due to its more rushing attempts. But uh, that's kind of leading me to playing Cam. Uh, but the stack is a little bit tougher. I mean, DJ Moore has been having a good year. But Christian McCaffrey is a really interesting case because typically like switching to a quarterback that runs a lot like cam does cost like two or three projected points due to, to fewer rushing attempts for the running back and fewer dump offs. But uh, this is a situation where they played together like years ago and Christian McCaffrey was our, was still like a really like the top running back fantasy player in the league. And uh, he's been performing really well when he's been on the field this year. So uh, it's kind of like uh, the outlook for Christian McCaffrey has gone up more than the, the quarterback change has, has hurt him, I think. Yeah, and like who, who's Cam going to throw to, right? I mean, McCaffrey's going to be there. He knows how he moves. He knows yeah. there's, there's going to be something there. So, I, I, yeah, I, I believe that it's only going to boost him, in my opinion. Look, more red zone trips ultimately means more opportunities for everyone. So I get it. Yeah. And it's difficult to look at last year where Cam Newton seriously vultured almost every goal line attempt and red zone opportunity, but that was in new England. I mean, they don't, they didn't have quality skill players at that point. Although Damian Harris probably should have got some more, but uh, Alex, let me, so David teased AJ Dillon not long ago. I, I got to tell you if his ownership comes in where we've got him at right now, which is the, the highest on the slate, but still sub 20%. I don't know how you don't love, like I don't see how he gets less than 20 touches. He had 23 looks and only played 49% of snaps last game with Aaron Jones being healthy for half of it. And you have him and you have James Conner, two guys in the six K range at the running back position that seem like they could have really voluminous roles in their respective matchups this week. Totally. Uh, AJ Dillon with no Aaron Jones, that's that's a smash spot because uh, beyond AJ Dillon, they haven't really played any running backs this year. So you got practice squad guys basically that are going to be spelling AJ Dillon. But uh, this is, I think, uh, Green Bay is kind of known for for not giving the the running backs as much work as you'd like. But this seems like a a, a situation that where that won't be the case because. Aaron Jones is definitely coming uh, back in a couple of weeks. So they probably aren't as worried about uh, running AJ Dillon out for a lot of touches and the price really hasn't adjusted to enough for the, the new workload. So 
think AJ Dillon's fantastic. And, and Connor, uh, it seems like Kyler Murray's trending up this week, and we all were kind of thinking Connor's in a smash spot with uh, Chase Edmonds on the IR. Didn't materialize because Arizona absolutely like sunk uh, in their game, but the outlook remains the same for me. That I think he's he's going to be a really fantastic fantasy option as long as Edmonds is out. He still played eighty two percent of snaps, but David, that kind of speaks to what you were saying with Newton. Is yeah, okay. Murray comes back. He run, he does run the ball a little bit. Uh, he's a better passer than Colt McCoy, but maybe they'll actually score points with him under center this week, where they couldn't last week. I mean, there's no question, right? Would you rather have Connor with, with, with Murray or Connor without Murray? Exactly. I, I, I don't think you can really make the argument that him coming in is a is a hurt for him. And yeah, I mean, going back to the the Dylan pick, you know, Vikings are what a mid tier defensive line, so I think you're going to get a lot of action there from him. So I think it, it'll be he'll be high owned. I think way more than twenty percent. I think that's probably an under estimate there, but I still think he's a good position. Does do guys like Connor and, and Dylan, who I know you like a lot, David, uh, and also talking about potentially getting some exposure to Newton, maybe some Flacco, granted not 150 lineups, like you said, <laughs> it, do you think that's going to up your exposure a lot to some of these high-end receivers or at least from what you're looking at preliminarily? Yeah, but you can you can switch them around, right? You don't have to go with the same guys in every single lineup, right? Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I yes. I, I think that if you're going to go with the low – with the real value guys this week, which seems like it's going to be the field's choice properly, then yeah, you're going to have to kind of figure out what you're going to do at the top of the receiving end. And yeah, you're going to have some exposure, but I mean, Adams, if I'm exposed to Adams on a, on a, on a Sunday, fine. I'll, I'll take that position any day. Right. There's nothing. It's perfectly fine. And if he doesn't score, then okay, fine. I lost that bet. But I think, uh, you know, you just pick the guys and Hill again with that matchup, it's going to be probably fireworks there. Right. So he's going to get points. So I'm not, I'm not worried about the top guys this week. They're going to, they're going to get their touches. And yeah, oh, I, mean, I certainly I, didn't mean to phrase that question as a negative at all. I, I think Alex, yeah, there's yeah. an ins- absurd amount of great top tier receivers. I mean, Stefan Diggs is facing an indie team. That's allowed about 23 passing touchdowns. And we haven't even talked about like, the, the Dallas Cowboys right now are in that same game that you just referred to with Patrick Mahomes and, and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and a, and a slate-high 56-point total. But the, the overall ownership on them, at least what we're projecting for stacking purposes for Lamb and Cooper and Dak and Schultz, is really, really low given the, the expected game conditions. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think this is definitely the game of the week for, for fantasy. Like uh, 56 total is about as high as we see them. So, I mean, I think uh, maybe the only impediment to stacking up the game is just that um, it's expensive to, to play pretty much anyone from this game. That That's a good fantasy option. So you can really only get maybe two skilled players plus the quarterback uh, and have a, a reasonably strong rest of your lineup. How much of this KC Dallas game do you have right now, David, on either side? Well, uh, I'm, I'm kind of famous for going for Dak. So, uh, I think I put 150 lineups with Dak, uh, in the millionaire last week. Was it? I remember. <laughs> really? Uh, well, what is I this new strategy yeah. where you, you only play one quarterback in the million maker? I feel like no one does that. Yeah, so I mean, look, like to 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 hit the milli maker, right? And you're playing against what two, three hundred thousand people, whatever the case may be. I mean, how are you going to get there, right? Are you gonna are you gonna spread yourself around and hope that you have one perfect, or are you gonna take a position 
and just say, you know what, let's go, let's go deep with this. And that's been the strategy I've been using. And amazingly, you know, I've picked so far, I've done this, I think two or three times, all the times, except for the DAC time, I picked really low salary guys. And that allowed me to fill the lineups like crazy with two. And, and so I didn't do well, but at least <laughs> like I was in the money with a lot of my lineups, like more than 50% of them, which is fine. Right. Um, and then with Dak, I'd also got, I was, you know, he had a, a good game, but like the, you know, Zeke was scoring. So that didn't really work out very well. I mean, I had him stacked too, but it wasn't throwing touchdowns. Um, but that also worked out well because Dak was kind of hot. So yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I would not, I think Dak is almost always a pretty solid pick. I don't have any, and I have no reason to believe that he won't get action this week, especially with the other side and probably going to score a lot. So yeah, it's a great, any one of the stacks. I mean, I think the, you know, the lamb stack is probably the one that I would go for. I've missed on Cooper a bunch this year, but you know, who knows? Is this something you would have felt comfortable doing before you were in a position bankroll wise and i know you said that you know, you, you were they were limiting you right so you'd have to put 2k in and then and then two but it would would this have been a, a spot a position saying you had the same knowledge of the of the game now as you did back then because it's easy to make mistakes when you're when you're first getting into it is this something you would have felt comfortable doing w- without uh you know a bankroll where it's at right now going all oh, out on one player no way. That's, that's absolutely the wrong play. Okay. Uh, you, you look like, even if you think that the, the strategy is profitable, you have to think about the variance in your return. Right. And you're going to dip too much. I mean, you know, for someone like me in Osmo, that's a perfectly reason. I don't know if it's a reasonable play, but it's an okay play maybe. Cause yeah, we can absorb the bankroll shock. Right. I mean, if I miss all $3,000 there, it's a hit, but it's something that, you know, we can recover fairly easily elsewhere. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I want to, I, I might even go even more concentrated this week, like not only pick a quarterback, but pick a little bit more also, and just mass enter that into the million maker and just see what happens. Right. I mean, I think you have to hit it right, but you know, if the one time that it does hit right, you only have 17 or 18 weeks, whatever in, in the NFL season. Right. So you don't have too many shots at doing this. So, you know, it's hard to see what would happen if you were able to play it a thousand times, right? But yeah, without the bankroll, you don't want to make this your strategy. That's for sure. Alex, it is an interesting concept though. And it's not, it's not foreign, right? Where there are people that do that. I've seen, you know, a lot of good uh, MLB DFS players go heavy on, on certain teams uh, because, and I, I think what David's saying too, is that, yeah, okay. It's, it's super volatile. Like the variance in a spot like that is insane. But at the same time, if you hit on that quarterback in that stack, now you just have to get the combination around him instead of having to get the correct combination with one of your perfect lineups with 15 different quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, not a bad strategy. It, I do feel like quarterback performance is so random. Like the passing, the number of passing yards that a, court, a quarterback gets has like very little relation to how like how well the team performs and uh it just like it seems like there's a lot of factors that that go into the passing volume that are are kind of uh pretty random so the chance of hitting the right stack each week is pretty low even if you you take a, a Mahomes or a Dak so I, I do like mixing it up with the stacks uh but certainly if there's if there's uh one spot you feel like a ton of conviction about there's nothing, nothing wrong from like a game theory perspective about locking that in. 
like last week with Detroit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> Jared, anytime you got a chance to play 150 lineups with Jared Goff, you got to take it. Unfortunately, he, he's supposed to be out this week, so I, I don't know. know what we're going to do. I know. Hey, Carl said Alex won last night. Can we mention that? Of course we can. I fell asleep. I could not finish that game. It was it was <laughs> dreadful. But uh, what'd you think? The showdown? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I tied for first, so that was that was pretty sweet. How many? Uh, four. So oh wow, it ended up being a pretty good uh, takedown. That's awesome, man! Congratulations. Yeah, so, I'm, uh, hoping, we got... uh, I'm hoping to cash it in for a free month, but I don't know if it'll qualify <laughs> because it was four people tied. No, it doesn't. You do not qualify. <laughs> For the free month. But if you use the awesome O avatar at any of these sites, finish top three in a field of 5,000 or more and tweet us at awesome HOF, you will get a free month, $90 value. Solid segue there. Thank you for teeing me up. David, were you <laughs> going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, towards the end of the showdown until the last two interceptions, which obviously made the defense on the other side, uh, the thing you had to put in the captain spot. I was creeping up on awesome with one lineup, <laughs> but unfortunately, the uh, the interceptions and the pick six just yeah one lineup man how come you, you single bulleted it no I mean I had a lot of lineups there but only one that was oh, okay. close to competitive last okay. night oh was, man if uh, whistles yeah. goes woo ha- played one lineup and passed you on the last play that would have been epic <laughs> not much strategy at all yeah. single bullet that would have been great uh, oh and then we did have another comment where where is this uh, someone was oh there it is. Chris said, what a class guy with humility. And then he said, compared to that chess is okay. guy." (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. I'm not not, not going to get you embroiled in this controversy, David. I'm just passing along a compliment that was paid to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. For sure. Uh, Hey, any other spots, David, that you're really high on this week uh, after looking at your first run? Let me take a quick look. Uh, Give the viewers uh, what they want. Yeah, I will. Uh, Montgomery in Chicago is not a bad play. Uh, I think I'll probably have a good position there. Um, yeah, as far as, let's see, defenses, Washington could be a nice play there. We'll see. I mean, we talked about that matchup a little bit. That could be okay. Uh, anything else interesting I see? Not really right now, but those are like the ones that I see kind of popping out early. How much do you how much do you factor ownership into into your lineup building into your exposure? A lot. So I used to not, but I'm I'm gearing that up even more and more. So basically, I run whatever I do without any consideration of ownership. Okay, and that you know tends to give me a reasonable estimate on how the field might pick. And then what I do is I look at that and I say, okay, what are the plays that I can like downplay because I think they're just going to be completely overowned. And then go for some position with someone very close, right? And that's how I do it. And and yeah, I think that's becoming more and more of my strategy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Alex, have you always used own like ever since you started? Was it something that you looked to get into from like ownership? Was that something that you immediately identified and factored in, or did you progress along uh, throughout playing? Oh, actually, I was I was kind of. Uh not not good at ownership when i started playing i really focused on trying to make good projection models and that was like how i was trying to get an edge um obviously as the projections that people use got got sharper including using our our models uh that's where you have to like find more of a game theory advantage so i think like before i was probably entering a lot of lamps that might have been too too popular too chalky and just 
some of the lineups I was playing weren't that good, but the rest of the lineups kind of carried the, the weight there. So uh, that's definitely something I'm looking at. And uh, in a lot of our tools, like the lineup builder, you can kind of see how contrarian is this lineup? Like how's the stack up in projection? And you're trying to like kind of balance those two. Who are you highest on this week? I asked Dave the same thing. Who are the guys that you're highest on right now or stacks that you feel the most confident in? I think uh, to uh, Tungavailoa is probably the stack I feel most confident in just because um, Miami does pass at such a high rate. Uh, in our game script adjusted uh, page, we have all the, the data there, but Miami is fourth in uh, passing attempts like uh, as a percentage of plays with so 65%. Uh, which is surprising because their passing offense is not very good this year, but they just throw the ball way more than run it. And uh, when you got a matchup versus the Jets where there's a potential to score a ton of points, that that's really appealing. David, I, I would like to, to talk about or at least get some exposure to Seattle, but that game last week, I know it's only a one-game sample and, and, and football in its own right is just based on short sample sizes, but – should we be worried about Russell Wilson right now after that performance? No, I mean, were you worried about Patrick Mahomes? No, right. Well, I mean, only because people... Wilson's coming off that injury. Was yeah, yeah, injury? yeah. Correct. Yeah, I, I'm not too worried. I think he'll be okay. I mean, will he be okay? Perfect right now? I don't know, but like another week, absolutely, he'll be fine. Right. So, I, you know, I think yeah, you, you, I'm not too worried about him now. Do you want to go so deep on him this week? You know, you, you. Generally speaking, coming off of an injury, you don't want to go too deep on a guy, at least in my opinion. But, go, you know, I think that starting this week and definitely going in forward is if he doesn't have any setbacks, I got no worries with him. Should we take some shots here, Alex? I mean, Lockett's price is the cheapest he's going to be all year. Wilson's getting virtually no ownership in our, in our projections right now. Uh, or are you just not really looking to risk that on a 12-game slate? Yeah, I think uh... – I think we're getting pull off some Seattle stacks. Uh, I like the last week for Green Bay. The the one tricky thing is uh, stacking up Lockett, Metcalf, and Wilson is is pretty expensive, so that does make it hard to to make a strong lineup around it. But certainly a great option. I'm not really uh, factoring in last week too much because uh, I mean we have a whole season of data and they've been decent. So um, I think that. They're definitely a bylaw team. Got a couple questions in chat for David. Uh, ask David who his favorite quarterback is this week. I mean, it sounds like Dak's going to be his favorite quarterback every week. He's always my favorite quarterback. Uh, yeah, not Kirk Cousins. I'm a Vikings fan, but definitely not Kirk Cousins ever. Uh, and then, yeah, favorite quarterback this week. I think Dak is a good play. Um, yeah. All right. And uh, Jason asks, is uh, where to go? Oh, there it is. Does whistles go woo punt defense every week? I mean, it really is just what what your lineups come up with, right? Nope. Yeah, defenses are super tricky. Uh, you know, <laughs> the the prediction of when a defense is going to score a touchdown or something, I I don't know. That's going to be a really hard thing to do. In the championship lineup, I had I had Dallas's defense, but they just were lucky at the end of the game and got like a scoring touchdown, right? So I I don't completely you know, ignore it, but I try to just differentiate. I try to just put it as many different places as possible. Cause like, you know, 
I, you know, the highest, what's the highest uh, cost defense this week? I guess it's probably the Titans. And like, will they be the highest output defense? I, you know, would I bet on that? I'm not sure I would, right? So it's really a tough one. I just try to differentiate like crazy when it comes to defenses and not focus on any particular one. Who who was your, your championship winning stack? Uh, it was a Murray. Uh uh, with, uh, I forgot exactly what the lineup was, but yeah, it was definitely, but a, it was Kyler uh, Murray. Okay. Yeah. It was a Kyler Murray play. Yeah. Hey, Alex, we got a couple minutes left. You got anything, uh, for our friend David before we go? Uh, yeah, I, I'm curious. Uh, you did mention that one of your, your favorite things is, uh, finding the guy that's going to be over-owned and then finding the pivot that that's a little bit of a better play. And that fits right into our, our pivot, uh, and fade segment. I know it's uh it's a little bit tougher to go on the record with a fade because uh a lot of times it's like the guy that's pretty likely to go off and that's why they're popular. But who who would be your fade this week? Hold on a second. The, the, the other week we were running short on time and our guest uh we were running short on time, David. And I was like, I had our guest go with his fade and pivot, and then I I almost had to say, Alex, I will do it next time. And he said, it's fine. Don't worry about it because now I can't be wrong <laughs> if, <laughs> if I give my fade that's like 40% owned. So uh, no worries here if you're not right on fading a guy that's 30% owned. Right. Uh, so why don't I uh, Why don't I go to contrarian on Alex? I, I wouldn't go with Tua. I think he's going to be highly owned, so I'm going <laughs> to fade him. Okay. Who's it's your a, pivot? I mean, it's got to be Joe Flacco, right? Flacco is the pivot in. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, he's going to be like 0.0% owned. And if he can just get one touchdown, you're going to have so much cap space left for so many people. Will it come in first place? I don't know. But if you're playing a single entry or if you're just trying in a big pool or something like that, and you're just trying to get some kind of, you know, one of your lineups in there that really has a chance of climbing, should it be right? I love the Flacco play. I like it. What about you, Alex? Fade, top fade, top pivot of the week. My top fade uh, is um, Michael Carter. I think that I, I got pretty stoked about Carter when Tevin Coleman was a healthy scratch for a few weeks. But uh, last week, that wasn't the case, and Tevin Coleman played a decent amount. Um, I don't know if that was because they, they got smoked or, or what, but uh, it just shows that there's not quite – as much potential for Carter to dominate touches. And that's really what you're, you're looking for because the Jets offense certainly isn't gonna, you know, put up a ton of touchdowns. Um, my pivot. Um, I think. Uh, Joe Mixon, like, uh, I think that he's pretty under owned another guy since, uh, since Carter's a little bit cheaper, maybe I'd pivot to someone like Alex Collins. Uh, with Chris Carson not expected to be back at this point. I think uh, Collins' price has kind of fallen because he's had poor performances. And last week, the team is a whole bit bad, but uh, he's getting a really good work share uh, where he got two, about two-thirds of the rushing attempts last week, and he's running routes. So I think the potential is there. All right. I'm going to go T. Higgins as the fade. I like him. He's been consistent, but he's been consistently okay. You still have Jamar Chase on that team. You still have Tyler Boyd, who is uh, a lot cheaper and getting a fraction of the ownership. I, I think you, there are other players in a similar price range that aren't competing with the same amount of targets spread out throughout the rest of their 
throughout the rest of their team. So, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders is not one of them. There's still Stefan Diggs, but he's almost the same price, getting nowhere near that ownership. And I think Miami's offense is concentrated enough to where Jalen Waddle could be that guy. Even Corey Davis, maybe a Joe Flacco, Corey Davis stack isn't the craziest idea. So, yeah, I like T. Higgins, but it's a little bit too high, too rich for me in terms of ownership. Anyway, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. This is a lot of fun. David, uh, really fascinating stuff, man. I had a great time. I hope you guys did too. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, good luck to you all this weekend and good luck to all the viewers. Yeah, he's not promoting anything. He's got no social media. Just coming on to hang out. And we appreciate that. Follow Alex at uh, Awesomeo at Awesomeo DF. Wait, did I get that? It's Awesomeo DFS, right? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I say that eight times a week. But I completely <laughs> blank. Shout out to our boy Tyler Zander for producing today's show. You can follow me at Lafayette underscore D. We'll see you back here next week for On the Contrary. Peace. Take it easy.